Thanks for joining me today. This is Redemptive Revolution, restoring hope to the formerly incarcerated. I'm Nick Arnold. Prisons don't offer enough programs and opportunities for inmates, and churches often fill the gaps. My guest today is Michelle Warren, who is the Advocacy and Strategic Engagement Director for the Christian Community Development Association, or CCDA. Michelle is also an adjunct faculty member at Denver Seminary in their Justice and Missions program. She's an accomplished national immigration consultant and is the author of the book, The Power of Proximity, Moving Beyond Awareness to Action. Michelle, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, Nick. I'm looking forward to our time together. Definitely. So tell me, what is CCDA and what is your role in that? Yeah, CCDA stands for the Christian Community Development Association, and we've been around for about 30 years or so, and it is a member association. Um, it is filled with practitioners from all across the country. There's a few international people as well, but basically practitioners who are living out a philosophy of Christian community development that seek to be connected so that we can live out our mission with one another, which is to inspire, train, and connect each other. So if you can imagine networks all over for various professions, if you're doing Christian community development, um, people should check our association out because we are definitely a member-driven um, professional network of people who are living out a shared philosophy of Christian community development. I've been part of CCDA, and I was one of their practitioners. I've been living out the principles for 24 years and have been a part of the association. My husband and I have been in Denver for a majority of that time, and we were a part of a church and then a nonprofit, a community development corporation that formed alongside the church. The church is in a predominantly homeless community, and it's where we've lived and we've worked and we've worshipped, and it's just been a beautiful life. Uh, about a decade ago or so, probably a little bit more um, at this point, I personally wanted to move beyond doing social justice and compassionate church-based ministries, but also have an understanding of how to confront systemic issues in, in systems. And so I went and studied to, to do that. And to kind of take a long story short, about five years ago, I came on staff with the Christian Community Development Association to help manage what at that time was an immigration reform work that they were doing, and it has continued to grow and expand so that I am now their advocacy and strategic engagement director. And what that means is I help the member association manage our three advocacy platform issues, which are immigration reform, education equity, and mass incarceration. And then also I work with our strategic partners and relationships. That would be denominational, academic partners, as well as oversee our regional and local network strategies so that people can be a part of this really big, almost 15,000 um, member association nationally, but how can we stay connected in our local communities? And so I oversee the local network formation and then so we can be connected regionally. Wow, that you you got a big job there. I have a lot of wonderful people who work alongside me. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> big, you know what? CCDA is a big vision. So we <laughs> we all have lots of good, fun, big jobs. That's great. And and what are the principles um, that you guys are, are looking for for people who are members? Yeah, so I mean I think we it, it's probably a philosophy. It's got eight you know, eight principles. Um, often, often people know about the CCDA because of um, our founding 
leader, John Perkins, and he wrote a book many years ago and talked about his three R's, which were redistribution, relocation, and reconciliation. And those are three of our eight principles. And redistribution has to do with um, bringing back restoration to what has been broken. Um, Relocation is making sure that you're living in the community. So we recognize that CCDA people are working in vulnerable communities, and um, we want to make sure that we're living there, not just coming in to do a job, but really sharing life alongside people. Reconciliation um, bridges to each other so that we can have a long shared life with one another. Others um, are leadership development, empowerment, and a holistic approach. We want to make sure that we're church-based. We don't not that every nonprofit in our CCDA association has its own church, but we recognize the value of community that is built in the church. And then we also um, value listening to the community. You know, communities have been around for long periods of time, and sometimes we kind of show up because God has called us to a certain place, or, you know, some people have been there their whole lives, but we want to make sure that the community is the one that drives. Um, the work that we're doing, and we need to make sure that we're good listeners. So those are just a little bit, um, each one of our eight principles. Great, great. And so what is a benefit for a practitioner or church to uh, become great, a member? Great, great. And so what is a benefit for a practitioner well, or church the, the to uh, become benefit, a member of your, your network? I mean, I've been part of CCA for over two decades and chose to, you know, work for them because I believe so much in the mission of inspiring, training, connecting one another. So, you know, Back when I started, you didn't really even get degrees in community development or nonprofit management. And I know that there are places to be trained for that in both formal and non-formal settings. But really to be able to learn from people who are living out the same philosophy all across communities, it is such an amazing benefit. So we just share best resources and practices and, and really learn from one another. And so I would say people who want to do any type of Ministry to the poor. I mean, we predominantly are in urban settings, but we have a rural component and as well. Anybody who wants to do work um, in poor communities, it's really important that you have not only personal support, but you have a skill set um, and a philosophy that is attached to it. So I think one of the best things for CCBA is that we have all those people, and they are tried and true. People have been living in their community, some of them from the beginning of the formation, 30 years, and even more before we formed. So just some really great veterans. And it's not – we have a national conference every year, and, and anybody can come, and you can sign up to be a member of CCBA on our website at ccba.org you know, now, but our national conference – is not where we just have a bunch of people that we bring in that maybe are disconnected with the work we do, but we are, our practitioners are instructing practitioners, whether it's networking sessions or um, symposiums or the plenary stage or workshops. And I think that if you're going to do this work, you want to learn from people who have a lot of wisdom and experience and insight. And I believe that the people in CCDA have that and can afford that to church leaders who are wanting to strengthen their skills and sense of community. Yeah, it really sounds like uh, you guys are giving them the ability to kind of get out of their own box. Yeah, it really sounds like uh, you guys are giving them the ability to kind of get out of their own box and and kind of uh, share in in thoughts and resources, uh, which uh, is is tough for smaller churches, uh, um, not having those resources readily readily available. Not 
exclusively evangelical, but you know, that's um, I'm evangelical, so I can speak from that platform, you know, within the CCBA, and that a lot of the resources that are even to help pastors and ministry leaders in the evangelical community aren't necessarily directed specifically for people who want to work alongside the poor in a way that gives dignity to people and um, the opportunity to really flourish long term. And so I'm not saying there aren't any, there's no resources, but that we're limited. And so um, I think you know, what we're doing is, is not quite as mainstream, and so the resources are less available, and so I think CCD has done a really good job of filling that for people who want to do long-term work among the poor. So CCDA does a lot of things, but uh, let's talk about mass incarceration. What do you guys uh, really focus on with that? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. So if you think about just... Um, being in a poor community, and so if you're going to work in a CCDA community, it is almost impossible not to either know somebody who is either currently incarcerated, who has been incarcerated, or has family members who are incarcerated. That's just sort of the narrative in many of our, in many if not all of our CCDA communities. So we've been walking alongside, whether it's with reentry or prevention or intervention, you know, ministries, just you know, just sharing life alongside each other. But there are sometimes you come. To a point where you recognize that social justice ministry, which maybe is reentry and job skills, or you know helping youth before they hit that school to prison pipeline, etc., all of those are very important elements. But there is still limitations to our ability to help people when there's a system that is put in place that needs legislative change. Mm. There's a lot of different social issues. You could probably debate how should the church react. But, I mean, our three platform issues, and one of them is mass incarceration, there's no nonprofit that we can create to change mandatory minimums or can affect drug scheduling. I mean, we could be voices to that, but unless we as pastors and ministry leaders who often don't feel quite as confident in the public square understanding legislation, we as a association recognize that we're limited with this, with, very, with these systems, especially around mass incarceration, and we want to give our association opportunities and resources for them to take the stories and the limitations of our system to people who have the power to make a change. Mm. So there's a few ways we phrase it in CCDA. One is um, the president of CCDA, Noel Castellanos, he speaks often of how we need to confront injustice. So people can, you know, confront injustice, but to really make sure that they're able to do it in an effective way, we want to, we want to provide resources to do that well. Another phrase that you'll hear within CCDA is prophetic presence. If you're going to live in the community and you're going to know people who are impacted by incarceration, your family may be impacted, your kids' families, you know, whatever that scenario is, to be a presence in a community is a good thing, but you can't just stand there and not say anything. But to be a prophetic presence is the opportunity to speak what you're seeing into, you know, a place so that you are using truth telling and uh, what you know and what you have learned to really help make systemic change as well. So we just want to be very holistic since that is one of our, you know, eight philosophies is a holistic approach. We want we care very much about individual restoration. We care much about social injustice and, and try to work with um, you know, longstanding social justice, biblical justice responses in society, but we also want to be able to speak into systems well and so I've made it our platform issue and work very hard to be strategic and smart and, and savvy and confront injustice and be that prophetic presence on behalf of what we see in our community. 
and then also helping people who are directly impacted to use their voice to make the change that would impact them. Yeah, it's such a huge, uh, it makes such a huge difference being aware of, of uh, some of the larger issues. I know that um, it's pretty easy to kind of ignore a lot of uh, what's really going on and, and just kind of like, well, you know, people did something bad and they deserve to get punished and we just kind of throw away and lock the, way, lock the keys. But generally, uh, most of these people are coming back to our communities and if, if we're not helping and, and assisting them, then our communities tend to suffer. Um, so it's great to hear that you guys are, are really bringing awareness and trying to bring in your network into that. That's very encouraging. Yeah, thank you. So can you just kind of describe, we've talked a little bit about this, but why should a church be involved in prison ministry? Prison ministry? Well, I think quite quite simply is, you know, um, the author of Hebrews says to remember the prisoner as though you yourself were suffering. I think we see a narrative throughout Scripture that really speaks to God's heart for the vulnerable and His heart for redemption and the ability to be restored in this Lord. And I think, you know, that's obviously the very story of the Gospel, is that God, you know, gives us the opportunity to make right with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And, you know, and when you think of just prison ministry or just people who are incarcerated and there's lots of reasons people are incarcerated but that there's an opportunity for the church to play an active role in the redemption process and there's plenty of people who are in prison who either found um, a relationship with the Lord there or actually had one um, while there and it was strengthened as a result of their time away I mean I think there's a lot of reflection that happens and so I think it's just an opportunity for the church to be a part of the work that God is doing in people who are incarcerated um, there's some very powerful stories of redemption and restoration and like I said since that's the heart of the gospel why would we not want to be at the very you know front row of seeing what God is doing and I think another thing is is that as Christians I think we recognize that labels are limiting and that if we truly want to see biblical justice you know that mishpat that restoring of a person to their productive place you know, that labels like felonies or things, there's a lot of stigma and shame around prison, yeah. but how beautiful that the church that really understands that at the cross, not only are we all equal, but that, you know, the God seeks to fully restore and move people forward productively, that I think when we are very attuned to what's happening in our people who are impacted by prison or jail, then we can recognize the need for us as Christians to enable people and support their reentry with rights as full citizens. Um, you know, people have done their time, and it's you know it's time for that to be the past and to you know let people be a new creation. You know, in a sense, maybe like a third birth or whatever. But but I, I think that there's a lot of of things to be witnessed and to be a part of some very powerful, transformative work in the lives of people. Definitely, and and what can uh, churches do to not only uh, reach out to um, uh, brothers, brothers and sisters in prison, but uh, as as they're exiting prison and, and just helping to get them back engaged with society, helping them find jobs and housing, like what, what can churches mm -hmm. be a part of to help reduce that re recidivism rate? Yeah, 
I think I have a friend, um, Mia Walker, and she's a formerly incarcerated individual who leads CCDA's Mass Incarceration Task Force. So it's that core group of leaders that help inform the association of directions that they they suggest. And of course, everything takes on a life of its own, but Mia's got a very unique story, a very powerful story. And one of the things that I hear her say over and over again is, will you see me? Mm. So often people come out of prison, they've been there for a long period of time, they're nervous, they've lost relationships, um, they've had time away and they haven't had skills sharpened or education aspects have just stopped. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen relationally, emotionally, with a, you know, physically with skill sets, et cetera, you know, that they come out and they're so incredibly vulnerable. And reentry programs are incredibly important, especially faith-based reentry programs that say, I see the value. I see the Imago Day in you. I see the potential that God has for your life and I want to join you in that journey. So I think um, that's probably the number one thing is to see them and ask the Lord to help you see them the way God sees them because our society has labeled people Felons are very, felonies are, I don't know how much you know about this, felonies are just so easily attained. Yeah. And they just carry not only a stigma, but limitations of employment and school and, I mean, just so many different things. That is, but Christians really being able to say, you know what, I don't see you as a felony. felon. I see you. I see the Imago Dei in you. I see that you are a child of the King, and we want to walk alongside you as you are fully restored into our community. So I think anything churches can do to see and value people and help them, you know, there's obviously physical needs, but I think it goes much deeper than that um, to really recognize the human potential and the missed human potential while they were away and then just really help them re-enter, whether it's job skills. I think one of the biggest things that we need that I hear over and over again, and I know from our own community development corporation and church, we need business owners who are willing to hire people with labels. Right. And not to let one or, you know, some type of the most negative action that they've committed after they've served their time to be what defines their ability to move forward. So I would say that was probably at the top of the list is to really help with employment. Not as many, I mean, skills, yes, but really, will you hire? Um, will you hire somebody who's coming out of prison? And uh, would if a business owner was interested in, 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 uh, in hiring people coming out of prison, but they were a little afraid. They didn't really know what they're getting into. Would they be able to contact you guys and kind of get educated a little bit and kind of find out what that would be like? I certainly can try to help um, direct people. I know that Jobs for Life is a program. It's based in Raleigh, but I know a lot of CCDA organizations use that um, material in their group. So this is a good illustration of us inspiring, training, and connecting practitioners getting together. We know that we need job training. Somebody creates a curriculum, specifically Jobs for Life. They come and present it to their other friends, and it grows. So I, I know for us, you know, maybe Raleigh-based, but here in Denver, we have a couple Jobs for Life training facilities. So so definitely, I mean, you could contact me, but I will probably put you to somebody at, at, at your local Jobs for Life um, organization, because what they do is they have this, sometimes it's six, sometimes it's four, sometimes it's 12-week, you know, training. It sort of depends on the unique um, 
location, you know, because obviously there's a lot of autonomy in each of those centers, but they are always looking for businesses to partner with. So sure, you can send them to me, but but also you may want to check out Jobs for Life um, as well. That's a great resource. Uh, so for a church who um, uh, is looking at starting a prison ministry, what would you say uh, would be some good first steps for them? Well, I think it depends on what the church is, um, where the church is located and how impacted they are. Um, there's a couple things that come to mind. One is healing communities. Healing communities is actually kind of a programmatic um, for churches and what to help them minister to people in prison. And what's unique about healing communities under the leadership of Dr. Harold Trulier is that the church kind of finds out who's impacted by by like has family members or people that are in this church body who has people that are impacted by incarceration and so that their ministry literally comes from we're not going to just you know adopt a prison or we're going to literally you know find out who's there so that we walk them through walk the family through what's going on as they're out you know walk the people who are in prison through their sentences and you know be there for hearings etc and then when they re-enter not some form community. So I think healing communities is a great model, and I know they're always looking for more cities. And I mean, they've got a lot of cities and states that are online. But I mean, I'm sure there's always excitement for growth. So that's one model that you can definitely look for. I mean, I know prison prison fellowship is is you know very popular, and I think they've got lots of different veins. Um, the Toomey program that they have with prison fellowship is excellent, and that really helps. Um, provide classes and skills um, both inside and outside of people when for people when they're incarcerated. So, I mean, I would check out Prison Fellowship with Toomey for sure, but I would also check out Healing Communities. And then I think another thing is, is that, you know, different cities have different ministries. Like our church, Open Door Fellowship and Open Door Ministries, we have connections to the issue of incarceration, but I I think you'd have to call us to say, hey, I care about getting involved, you know, when people are incarcerated, just because it doesn't look like it on the logo. If you're working with a Christian-based nonprofit that's located in a, you know, more poor community, I'm pretty sure that there's something that they can get along and uh, get, sorry, get involved with, because all of us are are dealing with, with issues around that, just traditional incarceration, but then also one of the five drivers of mass incarceration are immigrants and deportation centers. Wow. And there's a lot of different impacts that you can make in partnerships as well. Those are some great resources. Thank you very much. Uh, so lastly, uh, you wrote a book about moving from awareness to action. Uh, tell me what that's all about. Yeah. So I just finished the book. I just hit send again on Friday. <laughs> How great. Scheduled. I know it's so many different edits. I think I'm at edit number four, but I think this is the final one. Um, yeah. It's, it's always exciting to finish a project, but really specifically took some time this last year to sit down and get a lot of my thoughts that I've either kept inside or that I have opportunities to speak a lot and, you know, really put them in one one house them in, in, in a in a book just so that we can use it as a, as a tool for the church. I think it's great to have the global world that we have, and I think, you know, the the reality with our globalization is that we are very aware of what is happening around the world. You know, two churches are bombed, two Christian churches in Egypt are bombed on Sunday, and we hear about it within, you know hours. There's just, not even, probably minutes. And so there's a lot of things that are happening in our world that sometimes it can dull us, 
feel like, oh yeah, that's just happening. But I think for a lot of people, I think there's a lot of sadness, yeah. uh, a lot of the pain, pain and the injustice of our global world. And as Christians, we know, you know, that there are people, I guess the proverbial Jericho Road and the Good Samaritan, we know that there are people just beaten up and laying half dead all along that, that those roads in our world. And, and so the book's called The Power of Proximity. I mean, it talks a little bit about my own proximity journey and living as a as a white woman in all African-American community and then a Latino community and you know, just having so much diversity with socioeconomics and education levels, et cetera, and rearing our kids, you know, in the local schools and church and just a beautiful, beautiful life. And I think that there's a lot of fear and I just wanted to, one, just sort of rid the stereotypes, but I just, the whole premise of the book is that it's powerful to be in a front row seat. You know, if I hadn't lived in my community for over two decades, then I wouldn't recognize what was really going on. I would be dependent, you know, on maybe a video clip here, a video clip there. Maybe it would stroke the heart of compassion, but really being here has opened up my eyes to a lot of issues that we've even talked about today, you know, that I I know, you know how limiting a felony is and how broken it is when your family is incarcerated. I My friends have kids who are in prison and one for life. I mean, there's just, there's it's very powerful to know. It's not just stories. These are my friends. These are my family. So not only did it change me and get rid of illusions of wholeness that I had in my own life, but I think the crux of the, the middle of the book really asks two powerful questions, which is what are you going to do with what you know? And then what are you going to do with what you have? I really believe that me being here was not just so that I could get educated and more and more aware, but really that it calls us to action. Proximity is powerful because it compels a response, a response that is rooted in the foundation of Christ's love and his example that he became proximate to us. You know, Christ's proximity had purpose. You know, when he left heaven and emptied himself of all of his rights and his wealth and his privilege and, you know, all those things to become proximate to us for that ultimate redemption. And so, um, yeah, I just think it is powerful. We as Christians need to follow Christ's example and ask ourselves, how do we move from knowing about hardship and knowing about pain and injustice, believing in the transformative power of the gospel, but really bringing that to action that will enable people to be restored? not just spiritual restoration. I, there's no substitution, no transformational thing you can have as a right. personal spiritual encounter with Christ. But people are poor, and they are limited by systems, and and it's just like James said, you know, we can't just say, be well. You know, we really need to be, be joining them in their journey and helping see God through our collective effort repair what was broken. Well, that's beautiful, and I'm uh, looking forward to reading that once it hits the bookshelves. Well, thank you. Yeah, Michelle, thank you so much for being on the program today and taking some time. It's been great to chat with you. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Nick. It was great for me as well. That was Michelle Warren with the Christian Community Development Association. You can learn more about CCDA at ccda.org. I also encourage you to check out our book, The Power of Proximity, Moving Beyond Awareness to Action. I'd like to hear from you as well. You can connect with me on Facebook or Twitter. Just search for Redemptive Revolution. There are also lots of great resources at our website, redemptiverevolution.com. Check it out. And if you're a brother or sister rebuilding your life after incarceration, we would love to hear your story. You might even get profiled on the show. Until next time, my name is Nick Arnold, and this is Redemptive Revolution. Redemptive Revolution.